Suddenly it stopped I opened up the side Oh 
and welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Steve Hackett and Squonk from his forthcoming album Genesis Revisited Live Seconds Out and More. Of course, I've got the huge pleasure to welcome Steve here today on the Strange Brew. So let's hear my chat with Steve. Hi there. Hi. Good to see you. How are you doing? You're right. I'm great. We last spoke in uh, in late 2021. Right. It's amazing your work rate. You seem to have a, a fantastic rhythm of live shows and, and importantly new material. I'd like to keep it coming. It just so happens that there were a number of commitments that were the deals were done two or three years ago. And so in many places, I'm showing up to do things I should have done two or three years ago and and um, a pandemic not permitting. So it seems it's all it's kind of concertinaed into into this one time frame. So I've been touring pretty much relentlessly since last autumn. I've been all sorts of places which have been all over the show, which I think is what you're referring to, you know, yeah. uh, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, and two two months in the States before that. So, yeah, it's been busy. I haven't been able to do much recording apart from live stuff yeah. recently because I don't like to record when I'm on the road. You know, I mean, I do know guys who send in things from from the dressing room, you know what I mean? But I mm. I draw the line at that. I've got the, the notepad out. I'll do that. And if I've got a guitar with me, yes. Of course, I'll come up with ideas, but um, I do actually like to be in a recording environment. You know, it's a bit like worshipping the shrine of imaginary ideas that I might come up with. So, um, or worshipping in the shrine of that. I, I do, it's a little bit like hallowed ground for me, studios, studio or house or wherever it, it's done. You know, it's kind of sacrosanct. I can come up with the ideas on the run. Yeah. Yeah. The next release is a, a live release, which is Seconds Out and More, and there's been a great yeah. preview that we've heard with uh, Squonk. What was it like recreating a live album as opposed to a studio set? So, yes, Seconds Out originally from 1977 was the material. Really, we were cherry-picking across the best of material from 1971 onwards. And so those things were originally studio recordings. Then they were... A live recording from 1977 and I think if I may say so I think the difference is the way it, it sounds now we may have changed the odd key in order to facilitate a singer who is no longer in his 20s yeah, so uh, we might think things down a tone but then they gain in a sort of heaviness and and what have you so um, I do think that this version of Seconds Out sounds better than the original version of Seconds Out um, because recording techniques have improved uh, the way drums are recorded the idea of compressed ambient overheads all of the, the things that are part and parcel of you know modern recording techniques weren't really available at that time so um and it's nice to be able to hear the guitar work as well you know at times you know things could get buried in the mix so the separation is much better multi-band compression all of these things play their part in a modern recording of that which is a live a live performance and that was um towards the end of your period in, in genesis so yes it was yeah an album that seconds out an album that was well received so which obviously collected a, a good representation of material so it, it seemed a sort of fitting way to end because it marked as a sort of end of that period for genesis yes it was 
there was extra material that we were doing live at that time. We were doing a show that was about two hours, 10 long. And there was a lot of stuff featured from wind and weathering. And, and we left that out at the time of seconds out because we were thinking, uh, well, we can't give away a live, uh, a live version of our current studio album. So there was even more material, of course. And so Seconds Out, if it had been recorded in a slightly different time frame, it probably would have included a lot of stuff from, from that. It would have included Inside Out. It would have included all, all, all sorts of things. But as regards a live show, I do the solo stuff before it. So there's 30 or 40 minutes worth of that that accompanies it. And so it's not just the Genesis stuff. But I think Seconds Out probably... As it continues, it gets more exciting hmm. towards the end. I mean, particularly by the time we hit um, Dance on a Volcano and into uh, Los Endos, that was always, you know, a stalwart of the live performances at the yeah. time. So it's kind of hard to beat that as an encore. I think it just goes, the energy just goes up and up and up and up. I'm proud of that. I think I'm prouder of it now than I was at the time, you know, mm. because I was hot to trot and do solo stuff. And 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 one forgets, you know, the quality of the material. And fans give you feedback, of course. They've had decades to do that. And so uh, they'll tell me the reason why mm. grown men weep when they hear carpet crawl. You know? <laughs> <laughs> why, is, why is that the case? But, you know, there was a woman that I was talking to in, in Japan and she said, oh, yeah, I was in tears when you were playing that. And I thought, well, for me, I'm live. I'm, it's not a bad guitar part, but I'm just trying to get the notes right. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And importantly, as, as you've just said, the new live set release also features some highlights of, of your solo material. And for me, it's fantastic that some of your your newer material is on there. Yeah, like the climax of that set, like Scorched Earth, and which really fits well alongside all that material. Well, you know, I try and do it justice. Who, who knows what it is that finds its mark with an audience when material is young. In fact, that's my mother's favourite, Scorched Earth. She loves that. The Devil's Cathedral as well, live. You know, there's something about the way that that takes off. And, um, and Held in the Shadows has become something else, a sort of trading licks with, mm. with Rob Townsend. So we sort of take it to the mountains with the long play out. And um, it's always fun to see where where a song can go live. You know, will it bear repetition? Can you increase the, um, the playing aspect of it? So if I do something like Supper's Ready, I tend to do a long guitar solo at the end. God forgive me. It's not the length that it is on, <laughs> on the record. But, you know, you know what guitarists are like. They want to play all night. And sometimes I do.
your solar material, it's certainly in the latter period, has got extra weight and power due to the sort of lyrical content as typified by Scorched Earth. You've got ecological themes there. Yeah. And Surrender of Silence, the themes on there as well, you've got references to Russia, inequality. Yep. It's only building in, in terms of it, its relevance. Yes, funnily enough, Natalia, the track that um, we considered it to be the flagship track for Surrender of Silence, Originally, it was my wife, Jo, who came up with the idea of doing a Russian-themed thing, and we hadn't worked out who the protagonist was going to be called. We hadn't found our, our Eleanor Rigby at that point, but we happened on the name Natalia because we both liked that, you know, the romantic association with the name. And um, she basically came up with, with the verses, and uh, she said, yeah, it's got to be a little bit like Kenny in South Park, she's got to die at the, at the end of every every verse. In, in each era, mm. she is a trampled flower. And um, I thought, once again, Joe will set me these conundrums that I've got to solve, how best to do a Russian-themed thing. And it wasn't until I thought, let's do the orchestration in the style of Prokofiev. We, mm. we can get some Prokofiev-style changes, do those changes of key that, that are are more familiar to his work. So once I found the key to it, once I find the key, you know, I can scratch my head for six months thinking, how best do I do this idea? How do I do Joe's idea justice? Mm. It was the same thing when, when we did another track, Under the Eye of the Sun, from a previous album, and lyrics about stationary objects, rocks, Monument Valley, all that kind of stuff. But I took the opposite view of, of trying to do something if you could convey what happened in millennia mm. and did a time-lapse version of it and it was speeding up you get the idea of oceans that become deserts and soil and wind and the erosion that goes on there so i did something that was fast and furious to accompany these apparently stationary objects but it's all a case of where are you taking your frame of reference from anyway it's, it's all in dream time and I managed to make that work, but that was a real challenge for me. I don't always get it at first. I think, yeah, here's a great lyric. How do we make it work? That's the thing. So the orchestral dress, the heavyweight orchestral dress for, for an Italia is what brought that particular ship into port. Spirit when her country was young, Natalia danced to the moon and the song. Condemned as a heathen, they stole her away. The priest lit her fire on the judgment day. Fought and sealed her fate. 
And as we were discussing your currently sort of planning and, and the announcement of the forthcoming tour that recreates Foxtrot live. Yeah. What are your memories of yeah. that period in Genesis? That must have been such a creative time and obviously towards the, the early time that you had in the group. It's funny how 50 years ago can sometimes seem closer than 20 or 30 years ago. And I do remember we had this track called Water of the Skies and it was being written whilst we were on the road. We, were, we didn't have all the parts. Tony had some wonderful Mellotron stuff on it and we would rehearse this at sound checks in palace sports. So they were big yeah. you know, indoor arenas in other places in the world, we might be just be doing clubs or colleges, but in Italy, we seem to be big enough to be able to do that. And when it was bereft of people at Soundcheck, this thing, this spaceship-sized piece of music sounded absolutely wonderful. So we knew that we had the crescendo. We knew we had to do that. So Tony runs with the ball, first of all, the band kick in, the crescendo, all of that just for that number alone. And I remember being very disappointed when Foxtrot was recorded again, that the production wasn't quite up to par. You know, it didn't sound like it did live. So mm. when we did Genesis live and we had that track on it, you heard the live Mellotron filling the hall, De Montfort Hall, Leicester, and the audience giving that big cheer right at the beginning, practically from the first note. And so I go at this stuff thinking, yeah, we've got to capture... We've got to capture that. It's got to sound big. It's got to sound magnificent. I mean, I've recorded that intro with a with a Mellotron impersonating an orchestra and an orchestra, the Royal Philharmonic impersonating a Mellotron. And we've stuck the two together when we <laughs> did the first Genesis Revisited in the mid-90s. And um, they do things that the other doesn't quite achieve. You can't always replace a Mellotron with, a, with an orchestra. It can sound too smooth. It can sound too polished. And there's something about the grit of... A Mellotron. <laughs> I'm getting hung up on Mellotrons here. Uh, you know, I just loved the sound of, of what, what Tony used at that time, which was the bass was done on the English accordion on the left-hand manual. Then he's mixing brass and string together because you could do that with the heads at the time. And, of course, we use all of that, but we augment that with more modern samples as well, you know, to give it the power, but also to smooth it off so it's not too you know the of the of the Mellotron. And that works really, really wonderfully live when Roger King plays it. It sounds sounds fab. So yeah, looking forward to that and tunes that I haven't played literally for 50 years, like timetable. I've got to reload the guitar part. What was I thinking then, you know? <laughs> I was trying to just merely complement the thing that sounds like an upright piano on it. I wanted to give it some sparkle. So that'll be a challenge, doing it live.
tracks like Horizons, which is a real showcase for your guitar work as well. It's funny that because this very day I was in Cafe Nero in Twickenham and they play that very recording along with they just played oh. they just played something of Tchaikovsky Capriccio Italiano and then or Camp or Capriccio Italian as it's known and then they played Horizons and it was that that recording of that so every morning you get that this thing that I recorded it was it was a rough version of, of the tune it was a monitor mix but it had something and I thought no, we shouldn't try and professionalise this any more than that. So it's warts and all. I played it in one go. I played it on a Yamaha six-string steel. God knows how I managed to get it right in one go on that because it's a very narrow neck. But um, again, it, it, it's happy memories and those memories drift on and they become part of now. And uh, it, was a, it was a pal's guitar. I borrowed the guitar. But, you know, this is it, isn't it? You know, it's like, Begging, stealing, borrowing, and, uh, but it still has relevance today. I, I haven't given up playing that stuff. I'm still championing it, you know, this mixture of, you know, some wonderful moments from the guys like Ken Utility, Tony's, uh, again, his, his Mellotron solo on it, you know. Um, it doesn't sound like any other soloist I've ever heard. It sounds more like a classical composer at work in those pre- MTV approved years when that the stuffing hadn't quite been knocked out of the band, you know, at that point. Um, I like it when a band is still trying and they haven't quite made it, but there's something very special going on at that time. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. that Shadow of the Pyrophant actually dates from the Foxtrot era. Is that correct? Would you believe that it was a Genesis reject? At least the end was a Genesis reject. And it I have to say that it goes down so well with audiences. So uh, Genesis were fortunate enough to have had such rejects, believe me. But, you know, that is in the nature of, of the way the band functioned 
at that time. I was terribly disappointed that we didn't do that at the time, but it was on my first solo outing. And um, it's a bit like if you've got a, if you've got a good idea or someone's got a good idea and it might be a shared idea, it's important not to have stillborn brain children. So I think if you've say you've got a novel in you and you decide that you're gonna you're gonna write that and maybe it got turned down by the first publisher you went to. If you stick to your guns, I think all sorts of things are are possible. I was talking to Roger Dean about this, about, you know, there's a, a thing from the I Ching, which is work on that which has been spoiled. Yeah. And he countered and he said, there's another bit which says perseverance furthers. You know, it's perhaps, you know, two halves of the same, or two sides of the same coin, really. So don't be put off by invalidators, whether they are internal invalidators, in other words, your own demons, or or other people. If you think you've got a good idea and you love it, that's the only qualification. If you love something, that's it. I'm always coming back to that. Is there any lesson to learn in music at all? It's just to love it. If you do what you love, that's going to find its echo in people's hearts and minds.
I previously spoken with Steve Howe and, and Jeff Downs and yep. they were involved with GTR in, in the mid 80s yes. with you. And yep. the song uh, When the Heart Rules the Mind was, yep. was such a big hit in that era, but not as many people know that song now as yes. possibly should do. Do you think that that's a yep. song in particular that deserves a, a greater airing these days? Well, funnily enough, I did start playing it live again, uh, particularly in, in uh, the States, and uh, I did a re-record with Steve Rothery, yeah. funnily enough. So we had two guitarists, and um, he and I have talked about doing things together. And um, I did think it was a great tune. The progeny, the history of that track was that on the first day I started working with Steve Howe, he played me some stuff he'd recorded at home, um, which I thought sounded very good, but uh, it was a tune, and I thought... It was very strong instrumentally, but I didn't think it was, as a tune, the, the song section I didn't think was very good. So I took a chance and I was very honest with him. And I said, look, I've got a song here, I think, that might work with your instrumental. I think this might be stronger. And um, I thought, he's either going to take this on the chin and and he'll say, yeah, we've got a songwriting partnership, or it's going to be, get out of here. I'm not going to be messed with my thing. And luckily, you know, he. He chose the former route, which was to say, yeah, you know, I think it could be stronger with this. It was certainly very strong instrumentally. And I think we had a, a strong chorus. And, and I think it was the best thing that perhaps the only fully integrated thing that, that GTR did. And um, I've re-recorded it once. I might re-record it again. I don't know. There's something about it that I think is very good. Quite like singing it myself. And I quite like singing it with with Amanda Lehman as well. And, and um, Steve Rothery was very complimentary. He said, well, the vocals sound really good on this. So, you know, Max Bacon did a great job back then. We did it with that band. But then ever since, it, it doesn't mean that you can't go back to something. There's, you know, there's, just because it takes a long time to record something to make it sound wonderful doesn't mean to say you shouldn't do it. That's fine. Yeah, we, we heavily tracked up the harmonies. And um, so um, why should Queen have all the fun with that?
in more recent years, you've got, uh, you know, the material from Out of the Tunnel's Mouth and the song Nomads. Nomads, yeah. There's so many songs in the last decade or so from your career that could be chosen, but um, that's a song that seems to have so many different styles embedded in it as well that really means that it sparks off the ideas creatively. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a very funny thing, but I remember when we did Nomads, again, it was my wife Jo had an idea and um, she'd been to Granada, she'd visited the Alhambra and she'd seen the gypsies playing and dancing and singing the other side of the valley, but it's all happening there in Andalusia. And um, we came up with the lyric together. I mean, we were a fledgling couple at that point and we felt we were on the run, you know, from previous relationships and, and, and what have you. And whilst we were trying to establish ourselves in the midst of court cases and God knows what, it was, it was important that we felt like we were we were living our version of that and so there was some there was more than a nod to flamenco work on it i had not visited the region but it was about that and then we did visit the region you know post having recorded the song and i remember playing this to chris squire who i was shortly at the start working with uh doing the scracket album and he said he said i think that song could be longer and you know what he was absolutely right so there were time constrictions, budgetary constrictions, and what have you. But um, but I think that what is on the song sounds really good. I think the drumming is fabulous. Now, the drumming on that, it's two drum kits, both of which were imaginary under, you know, the incredibly versatile hands of Roger King. But it's it's got that. So it goes through stages. Yes, it's acoustic. It's It's a song. It becomes a flamenco troupe with dancers, imaginary, you know, with the stomps and everything. Then it becomes a rock band. And before you know it, the song's over and over and, and done with. But yeah, yeah, maybe if I if, if I do a revisited one day, thank you for reminding me about that. If I ever do a me revisited, <laughs> that one I probably ought to take it again. The expression taking it to the mountains would be what I ought to do with it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you liked that tune because it was mm. it was a personal favourite. We loved doing it. We felt that we'd, we'd hit something there. Thank you. 
Behind the Smoke from The Night Siren is also another highlight. And the lyrical content of that is so powerful in terms of refugees. And it seems that some people don't seem to have the the empathy with refugees when they're just people like you and I in a tricky situation. Well, again, you've hit on something that, again, it was Joe's idea. She had a line of the song. I think that's what came first. And it was Behind the Smoke is Black. And I said, are you talking about a war-torn region? Are you talking about refugees escaping? And she said, yes. So then we batted the ball about between us and with Roger, who did a fabulous job on it. And, and, and I think by the time the video was done in, in Serbia, it was a fabulous video with, with actors and stuff. I mean, there were moments in it where you think you're looking at a, at a feature film, and particularly the old woman when she's... Mm sitting down just her face and she's 
and the soldier is lighting a fire literally around around her and it's even though i'm part of this and this is you know this is me i'm just a cog in the wheel of this song that seemed to have a life of its own and and i funny enough i played to um a guy with palestinian in Jordan that we met showed showed him the video and he said it's the story of the Arab people you know someone who can't return to his homeland and um you're quite right there is compassion fatigue and i think that the whole of brexit was based on this so much you know the fear of the foreign rather than celebrating the best yeah so yeah ever the idealist these things crop up in songs so yeah these are all the so- social comments type tunes or at least those three behind behind the smoke uh, nomads and one of the other ones you mm. you mentioned
my thoughts are closed. It'd be good to discuss those golden wings from at the edge of light. Sure. You know, we've talked about some of the songs that have got social commentary, but this is yeah. more of a, a love song. And again, you've got the different styles that you've brought in with that. Yeah. I wanted to write a love song for Joe. We, we, we come back to that. This thing about, you know, the marriage of not just two people, uh, but the marriage of ideas that we, we, when we first encountered each other, we were writing film scripts between us and she wanted me to do music for a film that she was making. And um, I thought, you know, she's a very complex person, very, very sweet, but, you know, deep thinker and um, very philanthropic, very generous with the ability to put herself in other people's shoes. So I thought to write a love song for her that's worthy, I've got to to do this sort of... um, almost like the equivalent of multimedia in, in lyrics. So she's told me about, you know, the time when she was at school and she felt she was bullied by other girls and by teachers, and she really, you know, had a, had a terrible time of it. And she, I'm surprised that she stuck with education and went on to university and got herself a degree in, in, in classics and uh, worked hard on drama and all sorts of things. So I thought, well, let's see if we can get that into the, the tune. She's a great grecophile, if I can get something of that into it. So it's it's a contradiction in terms of prog love song. There's no such thing. But I certainly had a go at that with this. And um, yes, it's a song that starts out as one thing and becomes something else. As I said at the start, I wish you all the best with the release of uh, Seconds Out and More. And Thank you. It just sounds like another incredible tour, uh, UK tour from September planned, where you. you mix in many of the Genesis material that people loved, but importantly, you're still pushing and being creative from a solo context, and people people are loving it. And um, yeah, as we've discussed today, the solo material that you, you do is as innovative and uh, yeah. adventurous as always. So, um, well, thank great. you, and thank you so much for uh, you know appreciating both ends of the spectrum of my rather long. attempts at making a noise for a living thank you all the best bye-bye thank you
Smile with love.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.